The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome to The Real Money Show, the number one eight seven seven eight silver the website guildhallwealth.com. My name is Jeremy Wiseman. I'm joined by Jerry Karaya. And in just a few moments, we're also going to be doing... Um, sharing the interview we just had with G. Edward Griffin, who wrote the legendary book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, A Second Look at the Federal Reserve. An absolute honor to have that uh, man on our show. Uh, we're going to post that on YouTube as well. So stay tuned to that uh, legendary writer coming up. It's going to be an epic interview. Jerry, was your week uh, as crazy as mine was? So crazy, Jeremy. You can <laughs> Just trying to catch my breath from the in, the entire week and the week that was. Um, we obviously came off the back of a, a U.S. Federal Reserve rate hike that happened this week. It was Wednesday where the Federal Reserve um, raised their interest rates another 25 basis points as expected. And their speech uh, really, um, the you know, Powell speech right after really shed light on the future and where the Fed the Fed's going with that, with, with uh, their Fed hikes and so that. so that it was expected the quarter point was expected um but what did he say that was important about what's going forward well it was, everything was up in the air because we had all those the banking contagion we had the deutsche bank credit swiss uh, signature you name it all those banks just just you know we're seeing the, you know, the contagion effect all these banks going down so the quest, question was you know are they going to do the 25 or are they going to pause so they raised interest rates, and it was um, Powell that came out afterwards, obviously, to give his his speech. And you know, basically, he's basically saying that the banking system was sound and resilient, is what he said, with strong capital and liquidity. And that strong capital and liquidity is being provided by U.S. taxpayers, unfortunately, Jeremy. And the Fed itself is expanding deposit guarantees and emergency lending vehicles and bailouts. And um, you know it doesn't really seem very sound. Of course not, because in his in his speech, you have to really decipher. And Danielle DiMartino Booth did a great job of deciphering it, basically saying that we're going to expand the balance sheet. The printing presses are got full boom again, very inflationary, and the interest rate hikes tighten that up because we probably won't be seeing that again. Yeah, I think uh, it smells like a pivot. <laughs> We've been calling it, Jeremy. We've been talking about pivot because they're going to. Keep raising rates because that's the Fed's job is to maintain some sort of credibility. Their job is to a dual mandate to keep employment up and inflation down. They're failing at both. and they But they will continue to rate, raise rates as much as possible until they crack something, until something breaks. Well, I thought something did break. You're saying they, you think that they're going to keep raising from here? No, uh, they can't. And they're, so they're now justified. They need that justification. Oh, they're I see. They're not just okay. going to turn it off because, oh, it's hurting. They're going to be justified now in, in stopping the rate hikes. But this means that the fight of inflation is over for the Fed, but inflation is going to continue. We saw PMI information, the data, the inflation data came out today with the purchasing managers index. The inflation's hot again. It's not, you can't just turn it off, Jeremy. You can't turn inflation down like a thermostat. It's not going to happen. So silver up 5% this week, gold up 3% this week. Some people starting to voice some concerns about uh, silver, gold being at all-time highs. Is this a bad time to get involved in the market? Um, and at the same time, there's a, a massive fear about 
the 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 soundness of the banking system and understanding of what is it that I have in my bank. Mm -hmm. You know, if I understand what real money is, it's divisible, it's portable, um, it's scarce, it can't be erode or corrode. It could be used as a, as a medium of exchange. Not that we're doing that now, but recognizable. And of course that it's a store of value. And when you think about these things, you go, well, what's in my bank? Can I take out a hundred thousand dollars cash? No, no, you got to order it. How, 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 Am I going to be made whole if something were to happen to these banks? So there's a lot of the, these type of questions going on. But at the same time, so that's kind of a fearful question. Then at the same time, people are wondering, well, am I getting in at, at a wrong time in the, in the gold market? Is it is it too high, Jerry? And I'm going to set you up. Is it too high in value no. or price? No, this is the battle line draw. And we saw gold pushing and press through 2000 So $2,000 seems to be like that battle, battle line, Jeremy. And when we see how undervalued silver versus gold is, that's another uh, metal that is um, to watch, especially with the supply and demand issues now on the, the center I mean, center stage. We want to know if, if the product is really there. Last week, we saw news coming out of the London Metals Exchange talking about the nickel contracts being backed by, what was it? A bag of stones, bag of bricks, um, backing up all of these contracts. So when you think of silver squeeze, the silver squeeze is still on because the deliveries are, are, are going through the roof. Um, every industry is needing silver. So we're looking at, you know, are we at the big, at, 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 we're at all-time highs, Jeremy. Should we, should we, you know, hold back on the gold buying? Absolutely not, because this is the beginning of the central bank failure. They failed. They're no longer going to raise interest rates if they even do another 25 basis points. The fact is, Moody's just came out and talked about they're seeing risks that the U.S. banking turmoil cannot be contained. The last time they dropped the credit rating of the United States, watch out. There's a huge slew of contagion and systemic issues and risk and counterparties everywhere. So to suggest that this is the all-time high for gold, absolutely not. We've got to watch gold pierce through 2040 and then off to the races. And, you know, thankfully, perfect timing. Incrementum AG fund and asset management firm based in Liechtenstein came out with their uh, uh, gold analysis. It's their the, the most anticipated gold analysis annual uh, in the world. And today we're going to pre- present a series of, head, of their headlines and preview charts from the main event to be released in May. But these guys are the gold standard of gold research and they see higher gold prices regardless of you know any speculation of being all-time highs, that we're going to pierce through that, especially because of stagflation. I would say this. Look, in 1980, gold hit a one-to-one ratio on the Dow. It was hitting, it traded at $850 an ounce. The Dow traded 850 points. That's a one-to-one ratio. Right now, the Dow to gold ratio is probably around 16 to one. And in 2011, at at the last peak of gold, it hit a four to one ratio. So there's a long road to go in terms of that ratio. And then if you think about the debts, you go the debt in the US, $32 trillion. The servicing of that debt is only getting more expensive. Um, The debts are only gonna continue to increase. And so gold has even further and further and further to go. And then what else, what other choice do you have? Okay, leave your money in the bank, leave the cash in the bank, see how you do. You're already losing 15% to inflation every year. So you got to start making some proper choices here and think about sound money. Now, it's also important that you be able to hold that product. And in the registered accounts, you have the ability to go to the vault and personally audit those holdings and hold it in your hand. Not only do you get the itemized inventory report, but 
it is your physical product that you're holding. That's proof. So you can buy it direct from Guildhall. You can buy it direct, store it in our vault for easy liquidity and proper storage insurance. Or you could even take it that one step further and have it in a registered account where it's yours, outright owned, held in a vault outside the banking system, but it's secured sound wealth mm -hmm. right there. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to be doing that interview with G. Edward Griffin. So excited. Stick around. Much more on The Real Money Show on AM640. The number, one eight seven seven eight silver The website, guildhallwealth.com. We'll be right back. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back to The Real Money Show, the number one eight seven seven eight silver the website, guildhallwealth.com. Happy to have on the show right now um, someone who is a legendary writer, documentary film producer, his name is G. Edward Griffin. He wrote the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, A Second Look at the Federal Reserve. And he also is the founder of Freedom Force International and creator of Red Pill University, Red Pill Expos, and Rabbit Hole Expeditions. The mission of these Red Pill and Rabbit Hole endeavors is far more serious than it may sound. It's to popularize a global coalition for the victory of individualism over collectivism and liberty over tyranny. It's an honor to have him on the show. Please enjoy the interview with G. Edward Griffin here on The Real Money Show. Welcome to The Real Money Show. Uh, Edward Griffin, um, author of It Came From Jekyll Island. And um, it's so great to have you on the show. Um, I have been a huge fan of yours for a very long time. Um, actually, if you don't mind, I'd like to start with a quick story. I, um, I read your book. I don't mind it at all. hope it's <laughs> okay. a good story. <laughs> yeah, so I read your book in... I. I want to say around 2007 and I remember especially at the end of the book you have sections where you were saying well here's here's what I think is going to happen next um, and how they're going to use a crisis and 2008 <clears throat> came along and Hank Paulson gets up in front of Congress and says we need more power and I'm thinking oh my this is exactly what he wrote in the book. It's exactly what he said they were going to do, and they did it. They asked for more. And, um, I mean, the book itself was amazing in, in reading it and, and everything that I learned from it. Um, but, yeah, you were right. You were, you were definitely right. I'm sure that's something you've heard a lot over the years. Well, I have, yes. And it's not a particularly a pleasing thing because I was right but uh, it's that means that the world is going to hell and uh, that's not a happy reality so um it's nice to be right but it's not nice to nice to be right about such a grim th topic as that well um i, I do want well, to you ask know some... it, it, i have to say yeah well let me just say that yeah, i do get that comment a lot people think that i've got some kind of a crystal ball but you know it's not hard it's not hard at all to predict the future if you sort of think about it, if we, if we know where we are in the, really, if you have a realistic grasp of where you are in a situation, and if you also remember where you were, you know, maybe five years ago, and uh, you can draw a line, a mental line between those two points, and you can say without much fear of certainty that unless there are changes 
substantial changes in the forces acting on this, this situation, that line is going to continue pretty much in the same direction. And so you just project it out and say, Where, where's this line headed? You know, we, we were here five years ago. Now, here's where we are now. And not looking good is unless there's some changes that we're going to continue going, going in the wrong direction. So it's, it's very simple when you just look at it objectively. Well, on that point, speaking of things moving in, in a certain direction, since I read the book and watched uh, what's been going on, and I'm interested in your opinion, in what you're seeing about this, but I see people learning more and more about what you've been talking about, the Fed being private and cabal and what its, what its purpose really is. How have you seen over the years the growth of the awakening of what this uh, financial system is all about? Well, I have seen a, a marked change in the awareness of the fact that the Federal Reserve is uh, not our friend. People are becoming very angry at the Federal Reserve. And that, the, that is good because prior to that, life was so comfortable that nobody cared. Federal Reserve, who cares? That's not a government agency or something. I, let's talk about something interesting. Um, so when it starts, when things start to go south and the wheels come off the wagon, people start asking, well, what happened? What happened? Well, who's, who's responsible? They want to, you know, put the blame on somebody, of course. And so they say, oh, the Federal Reserve must be doing this uh, because of, well, a lot of people are aware of that. And so it, it's, it became a topic. It became a, a political topic. When Ron Paul ran for president, he's talked a lot about the Fed. And for the first time, a critical a uh, view of the Fed was injected into the into the mainstream discussion, and so people said, "Oh, the Fed, the dirty guys. Let's, let's we don't like them, and we're going to abolish the Fed." That was all good, but they didn't understand what the Fed was, and they didn't understand that they could abolish the Fed if they wanted to, and if they just turned the same powers that the Fed had over to the Treasury. We wouldn't have gained anything at all. We still have the, the cabal at work. They just put on a different mask. So they weren't. So the thing, the disappointing part, is that although we get a a, a a rising awareness that the Fed is, is not our friend, most people still don't understand how it works, and they're they're apt to fall for solutions that are offered by the same people who are running the Fed, and it won't help at all. For example. I think they're trying to destroy, well, I know they're trying to destroy the currency, the present currency, so that it'll just collapse and people will be stuck and looking for something different, something better. And of course, they've had in mind for a long time this different, better system, and now they're calling it the central bank digital currencies, a, a digital currency that'll be completely programmable by the government and by the banks, and uh, it, it'll be, it'd be the end of freedom and uh, that what they're trying to do is make people so upset with the Fed, they'll say, let's abolish the Fed. And, and they'll say, okay, we'll abolish it. We'll, we'll turn all this power plus some new powers over to our friendly and reliable politicians, and they'll take care of it. Well, the politicians are really bankers, and the bankers are the politicians. They work together. And so what, what I'm trying to say is that I'm greatly, greatly encouraged by the fact that people are aware that we have a huge problem, and it centers on the Federal Reserve System. But we have a long way to go in order to educate people so that they don't fall for the wrong solutions from the same criminals. 
I completely agree. And uh, I want to ask you a question on that because, um, and I do feel like I'm, I'm talking to, to one of my professors in, in, in university, and I, 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 didn't, I didn't go to a completely lefty university either. It was a, a very different type of program. We, another, another story altogether. But, you know, one of the things about a, a central bank digital currency is that right now today I'm seeing people waking up to the idea of inflation. Now, they don't... Now, a lot of people, they don't really put together necessarily piece by piece that it is that they're creating this currency, whether it's by debt or just depositing the zeros into the ones and zeros into the bank account. And that's why you're spending all this more, this much on everything else. They're not necessarily making that connection, but it it's there. It's very, very close. It just hasn't, hasn't quite uh, come together yet. But when you think about if the dollar becomes worthless, and I completely agree with you, by the way, that, and I love this idea that they'll they'll pretend to hate themselves, to to get you on board and have this um, this common enemy that you're going to join. But of course, it, it's all propped up. But if the dollar's worthless, a CBDC is also worthless. And I think that as people are waking up to understanding that inflation is causing a worthless dollar or it's vice versa, that it's not that big a leap to, find, to realize that any other alternative that you give us that is also backed by nothing that you can create out of nothing is still zero. And it's just adding that much more control. And anyone who's tried to take cash out of a bank also knows this. Well, that's true. That's true, and uh, as far as it goes, what you said is, is, uh, is absolutely true, but there's another aspect on top of that, which is that up until now, there have been worthless uh, currencies all over the place, of course, but up until now, we've had a certain amount of, of flexibility and freedom to move from one to the other and to seek out one that's uh, less, less worthless than the others, and... Yeah. Uh, Sometimes you could survive by going from one currency to another or to a different, a different uh, kind of money like gold or silver or something like that and people would accept it and so forth in, in me, as a medium of exchange. But the, the other big difference with what's happening now is with the digital currencies, uh, the plan of course is to get rid of all other forms of money and it'll be, you just won't have any other forms. They won't allow it. It'll be against the law, and you'll be forced into a black market. But even in the black market, what would you use as a medium of exchange? And there's not much to choose from. It has to be something tangible. It can't be a piece of paper or an electronic transfer, because they'll have complete control of that of those channels. So it's it's a grim situation because we will, for the first time in history, have no other place to go. You know, we know that that the head of the bank was on the Federal Reserve Board. We know that their CFO worked for, um, which was at Bear Stearns, I think, um, and oversaw that collapse. So we know that this is a deep state entity, essentially. And they let it go. They, they, let, they didn't just, you know, they're, they're obviously doing business in that bank and making money off that bank. And then they've decided, well, we're going to let this bank go because they could have bailed it out privately. The, the Fed bails out banks every single day in, in, in the overnight markets. But they decided, no, we're going to let it go. Why? That's a really good question. And to be honest with you, I haven't given that a lot of thought. But it seems to be 
it seems to have clear-cut edges on the issue. First of all, as you so well pointed out, it was a conscious decision, no doubt, because nothing happens by, by accident. It was a decision to let the bank go. So why would they do that? And the answer, obvious, we don't know in detail, but the generality is that by doing so, they gained more than they gave up. So now the question is, well, what did they gain? Because we know what they, well, we think we know what they gave up. Maybe, maybe the bank was uh, in big trouble and maybe there was some, some scandal that was about to be exposed and in order to protect the uh, criminals, they decided just to close the bank. I don't know, things like that could be a factor. Uh, we don't know. But um, maybe they were trying to trigger uh, panic on the part of the American people to get bank sure. loans going so that they would have a, a chance to uh, you know, use the domino effect so they could say, well, the people closed down the banking system. Now we have, we're ruined. Look at these stupid people, what they did. And now we got to have that digital currency for sure. I think it's probably in that uh, category. But to be honest with you, I really don't know. I'm just speculating and I'm just sort of trying to formulate an answer. I'll, I'll go back to the safe part, which is whatever it is, they decided that what they would gain is greater than what they would give up. So that what would they gain? And I think it's clear that what their their real uh, their real dream, their real goal is to get the digital currency going. So I'm going to guess that they did this because in some way doing so advanced the motion toward the the digital currencies, the central bank digital currencies. We're going to take a quick break from the interview here. The number one eight seven seven eight silver. The website guildhallwealth.com. Stick with us. Much much more here on the Real Money Show on AM six forty. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back to The Real Money Show, the number one eight seven seven eight silver the website guildhallwealth.com. Let's get back to the interview with G. Edward Griffin. I listened to a recent interview you did on um, with a... Uh, a couple of uh, gentlemen about cryptocurrencies and I was smiling the whole time because you were saying you were really speaking my language um, that there are issues with crypto it is uh, can be you know the blockchains great but it's still speculative it's like the minute it were I know I'm going on a tangent here but the minute any of those currencies could actually be used as uh, an actual currency day to day then its value would have to be stable and therefore no more useful to the people who are speculating in it. Um, what's also interesting that I always point out to people with regard to crypto, and I'm speaking in terms of an alternative here, is that they say, well, it, it's the math. It's limited. There's only a certain supply. I said, yeah, but you can buy it in infinite amounts or infinite divisibility. You can buy one grain of sand on that beach and you can't do that with gold. You know, gold has 31 grams in an ounce. So if it went to $31,000 an ounce, you can only buy one gram if you could go out and buy one gram, right? How many grams would be available? So there's a limit to how high it could go in price, although if the dollar's worthless, then gold is priceless, sure. But there's a limit to how high it can go. 
There's a limit to how low it can go based on mining supply. So it just makes more and more sense. And what I'm seeing is people are saying, I see the viability of real money, hard assets. I want to have that, not what's in the bank. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the repercussions of more people getting involved in the gold and silver market and withdrawing funds from banks. And could that have positive net effects? Well, I have to think a bit about that. That's a, a really a good question for me right now because I've been thinking a lot about what we who lack the, the power that our opponents have over the monetary system, what could we actually do now to counter this drift toward uh, these digital currencies that will be programmable? And the obvious question, keep, I mean, the answer keeps coming up, uh, make real coinage, coinage. The word coinage keeps coming into my mind. I'm thinking, yeah, if I had the resources, I think I'd like to go back and retrieve a coinage that we did uh, about 10 years ago. And we issued some one ounce uh, gold coins and one ounce silver coins. We called them libertatums. And um, they were very popular. We just, we did them as a means of creating a, conversation about the value of gold and silver and we we designed them in such a way that they were teaching instruments because they had symbols in the coins and it was something you could sit down with your kid and say now what do you think that symbol means it was his hands are open and the bird is flying away you know what does that mean well that means that uh, freedom of choice is very important and you don't want to force the bird to do something that it doesn't want to do or it's if you want the bird to be free and so forth and oh i get it so we they were loaded with symbols like that and then we gave it up for a while because the prices were going through the the roof on silver and i'm thinking what if we went back right now and started re-minting the one ounces and how about a quarter ounce and how about a tenth of an ounce and how about what if we did a Ten penny or something, which was sort of a an amalgam of silver and nickel or something, so that we could actually have pennies. I wonder if people would use those for the common um, purchases. And my my uh, optimistic, maybe it's my desire, is that yes, they would, especially if they had nothing else except digital things or plastic cards that they didn't know what the value was going to be. So um, that's the long way of answering your question. I think that somebody can I, can I inter interrupt us, you for a second maybe, there? Yeah. Uh, you, you you're just making me think about something because I played Monopoly a couple years ago, and you know they they've moved away from the paper money because the properties are so expensive that they give you the digital uh, the fake um, ATM machine to use because you can't. You can't utilize the the amount of money that's being the, the amount of zeros being used, but what you're talking about is yes, if if you know if you have a gold backing, let's say, um, you don't need all these zeros. You don't need all these zeros. That's and right. Things aren't costing yeah. so much, so it's not a big deal to have, you know, twenty five cents in your pocket to pay for a coffee. But we've gone so far away from that in terms of a concept that people just think, well, it's more convenient to have a credit card in my in my wallet than the actual cash because I would need a truckload of cash. But 
that could all change in 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 a minute you know yeah. i i still maintain that the 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 gold is there someone's got gold brick nations are buying gold like crazy you want to get rid of the debts just revalue the gold pay off the debts pretty quick and then you could start from scratch well is that, it's is not that too extreme simple but it's going to whatever it is uh, jeremy there's going to be some pain involved yeah it's like um i guess i think it's like a junkie that's trying to get off of the habit and um you say well it's very simple we just stop 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 taking this stuff and um that's true that's a very simple step but it could also it could also cause great health and mental havoc on the person who's dependent upon it and if if we do drastic action which really needs to be done it would destroy most pension plans which are based on fiat money and people's retirement and social security would stop in a heartbeat and uh, it'd be havoc it'd be painful and so that's the problem uh, with any solution everybody wants a solution that will be painless what can we do so that we can we can just come out fine and we won't have to pay the consequences of all this dope we've been taking and uh, unfortunately that there's no way but there is a way to come out the other side and and survive and and lead a very good life after that if we just uh, buckle down and say okay these are the consequences let's work and get out of the mess we're in it's a it's a unpopular uh, point of view but i think it's the realistic point of view so um, can you tell us a little bit about what um, what you're working on currently um, with Red Pill University and are you still doing expos? Um, are you still getting the word out on, on how people can, can beat this uh, collectivist um, attack? Yes. Well, the answer to all of those questions is yes, 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 and yes. And we're trying to uh, ramp up on everything we're doing because of... Uh, as we've been talking about, we're running out of time. So we have to figure out ways to do it better and bigger and faster. So the Red Pill Expos are very popular. Uh, that was a sort of a gamble in the beginning. We didn't know if people would take them seriously. We, I was kind of afraid that they would, uh, people would think, oh, this is just some kind of a pop culture thing, Red Pill, take the Red Pill, see life the way it really is, and so forth. They might not take it as a serious move. Fortunately, they are. They can see the parallels between the, the story and the matrix and the red pill and you know seeing reality versus illusion. They see that and they lock onto it. And it, it turned out to be a very good move on our part to uh, experiment with that theme. And um, so that is, is turning out to be very popular. Our red pill university is under uh, expansion right now. And I'm working personally very hard on opening up campuses of Red Pill University. We, our goal here in the United States, don't forget this is a global movement, so it's similar in other countries as well. But in the United States, our goal is to have at least one campus in every county. And some of the more populated counties, we may have several uh, campuses. A campus is merely a, a, a collection of activists of people who know the things that we're talking about and who decide that they want to make a difference in the world and they recognize that to to 
rebuild the system has to be from the ground up, not from the top down. It's not, we can't change the system by saying, who are you gonna vote for president or what political party you're gonna support. You've gotta start at the grassroots level and, be, and take control of your city council, take control of your county board of supervisors, make sure that the sheriff understands the constitution, you know, the board of, the board of education. You've gotta build from the ground up and it's relatively easy and fun to do, by the way, because we've been experimenting with that. And it's actually fun to see how quickly and easily uh, a small group of people, and by that I mean a dozen people, can literally shake the tree at the, at the county level uh, and make things happen. And uh, you, you feel that you're powerless all alone, and that's true. But once you get together with a few other people and you have some strategies in place like we we're talking about well we're not talking here about it but that we do at the campus level what issues do you have how do you enlist the support of the community things like that once you have your strategies firm it's easy to enlist the support of hundreds and even thousands of people in your community on behalf of certain issues and those are the issues that we focus on that lead to exposing the politicians who are on the wrong side of the issues, and that leads to getting right people into those positions. In other words, what I'm trying to say, the only reason we're on the issues, the, not the only, the primary reason we're on the issue, secondary reason is education, but the primary reason is to change the political structure at the county level. They get the old get the old line out and get new people in who understand the difference between collectivism and individualism. And then things really start getting fun. Well, I want to thank you so much uh, for joining us today on The Real Money Show. It was an absolute honor for me. Um, great to meet one of my uh, intellectual heroes in life, and I hope everyone enjoyed it. We're going to post it on YouTube. We're going to get all the links in, in there, and as well, it's also going to be airing on AM640. So I want to thank you again for joining us here today. What a great interview with G. Edward Griffin. We're going to take a quick break here. The number one eight seven seven eight silver the website guildhallwealth.com. It's The Real Money Show on AM640. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back to The Real Money Show. The number one eight seven seven eight silver the website guildhallwealth.com. Uh, well, that was fun. I have to say, um, you know, it's wow. it's pretty cool to meet one of your heroes, and that book uh, really did change my life. I just, uh, I remember just sucking absorbing it in, it. absorbing it so fast because it was such a wake up, um, seeing how money funded both sides of wars and just how in depth he went, and understanding how the money system works. Um, I can't tell you what it, you, you know, you, anybody has to read it. It is a 101. If you mm -hmm. want to know how the, how the financial system works, it's 101. Because you start hearing people talk about different policies and different moves. And once you kind of understand what it's all about, none of that matters. Mm -hmm. the, the things that, you know, I know we talk a lot about interest rates and all of that. But at the end of the day, you go, well, these guys, these guys at the Fed they have a handle on creation of the money and it all and all your tax money goes to them exactly you and know it's, and it's all about identifying your enemy you know if we think that 
all of the problems that we see today and, you know, coupled with the solutions, but all of the problems that we see today are from the politicians. No, we're wrong. When the central banks were, were founded, they had an idea of, you know, grabbing that printing press because they knew the importance of the monetary system, the money and the currency. The Rothschild said it best. It's, remember that quote, give me the power to create the nation's money and I don't care who makes its laws. That quote alone says it all because the laws are given by the justice system and the judges, but they don't care about the judges. They're above the law. So we have to understand that when we grab a hold of our money and we vote with our money and we take away um, that power away from you know the, the deposits, and this is why we're seeing money and deposits leaving the system in droves, is to get that power back and be your own bank and be your own reserve with precious metals. And he has quotes that, you know, just prophetic quotes. He, How did he know this from you know, when he originally wrote this book? But he's absolutely right with regards to collectivism. It's better for, you know, the better good for humanity. If, you know, one of the quotes was, when the fund was exhausted, Jeremy, when the fund was exhausted, I'm thinking of FDIC or even CDIC here in Canada, the solvent banks were punished by being forced to pay for the deficits of the insolvent ones. Forced. You know, it... it Deutsche Bank doesn't want to buy these worthless banks in Credit Suisse. These were junk banks with, you know, bonds that, you know, the, the, the holders of the bonds lost their money. There was a bailout. Um, and, you know, the shares were worth 50 cents. If you look at Deutsche Bank before 2008, Jeremy, Deutsche Bank was worth $120 a share. Today, $9.65. Oh, it's cheaper than silver. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that this is a great time for, for metals. I think that uh, not only are physical precious metals a way to get back your sovereignty and get your independence and your individualism, it's a vote where you're voting with your pocketbook. You're saying, if I don't like what I'm seeing, um, I, don't, I can unsubscribe from these channels. I can unsubscribe from the financial system. I truly believe, I know we had a nice chat with, with um, with G. Edward Griffin about digital backed currencies. And I know that he's ultimately a very positive person and that we are looking at the great awakening versus the great reset. And if you could just see the amount of wins that we're getting, that all we have to do, and I've heard him say this in other interviews is just keep up what you're doing. Just keep up the fight because we are winning that fight. And what is the fight for? It's for the future. It's for the future of your family. It's for your kids' futures. It's so that their family can have this type of success that families had in the fifties where you could, you know, we want to all be able to go on vacation where we want to go and eat what we want to eat. And I don't want to eat bugs and, you know, have the type of excess, success that we should enjoy instead of being ground down by inflation and taxation. And, and why? For, for, the, for the greater good? For the greater good? What, what greater good? Just so I can send my kids to a school where they're going to be taught their, their pronouns? Right. Um, it's ridiculous. So, um, and of course, there's opportunity here. Gold and silver are incredibly undervalued. How undervalued? We could talk about it all day long. Silver is still, in a fuller sense, very close to its cost of production. 
and it's used in everything that you use in life, anything electronic, anything digital, and that's not going away. And if you want to use more electric cars and you want to go solar and you want to go wind power, you're going to need a whole lot of silver. And guess what? There's not enough of it. And when people think that gold starts to get too expensive, then they're going to rush into silver because it's the next monetary metal. Guess what? There just won't be enough of it. And where does the price go when you try to fit an elephant into a mouse? It goes through the roof, and it's already starting to happen. It's going to continue to happen. Gold has had a crazy good track record over the last 20 years in Canadian dollars. Four down years. Two were less than 2%. One was 23% down year in 2013. After five years of almost all of them being double-digit gains. So it wasn't giving back that much. And then in... Uh, 2022, I think we gave back 4%. Was it, or 2021, we gave back 4%, big deal. The, the year before, it, gave, it went up 22%. So it's not like it gave back too much. Mm -hmm. So an incredible place to protect wealth. And, I, and wouldn't you agree, Jerry, that that's what many people are looking for. They're not looking for speculation and, hey, can, this, can silver go to $100 and I'll make a ton of money? They're looking for protection, that return on capital. Exactly. Protection definitely is the key to start with. That is your foundation. But your position for a tactical move higher, because as we, we wanted to really visit the In Gold We Trust report, so I'm just going to read a couple headlines from these charts to, to back up what we're talking about why precious metals are going to be going through the roof. Uh, central banks are rediscovering gold. We're at all-time highs. Central banks know something. They know the inflationary issue. They know that the way to find independence and sovereignty is through the ownership of gold. And gold is up in every single currency and outperforms most domestic stock indices. Also, there's another headline here. Gold shines when equities struggle. Going back to the 1930s, Jeremy, we see this chart of amazing returns for gold and why they perform during times of high inflation and equities, equity issues. And the upside potential, Jeremy, is on silver is enormous. If you see the potential and the charts look exactly the same as we did see in the 1980s, the charts are remarkable. The silver to Dow ratio, if if we were to hit its long-term medium of 31x, we would be looking at about $65 silver right now. So to suggest that we've hit all-time high, that we don't have the legs to continue pushing through, we have a lot to digest it's here. way too early for that talk. You can hold it directly. Give us a call, one eight seven seven eight silver Go to the website, guildhallwealth.com or guildhallpreciousmetals.com. You can acquire some physical precious metals today. You can store it with us. We use Brinks Vault Facility. It's fully allocated, fully segregated. You always maintain full ownership, can take delivery anytime. And then you can also use all of this within a registered account. Have it fully allocated, fully segregated, you retain complete ownership of the product. You know what that means? No counterparty risk, a word we've been using forever on this show, and now everyone's talking about it. This vehicle, no counterparty risk. Give us a call. We'll show you how it all works. Thank you for listening to The Real Money Show, and we can't wait to speak to you next week. This has been The Real Money Show on AM640. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.